חידושין דף כ"ח עמוד ב' Why God wants us to trade דבר תורה מעות קונות Why did the Rebbein Hashem create the world in such a way that we have to trade with each other and that we have to have bi-gender relationships? The Rebbein Hashem would have made us not having to have relationships and not having to trade. Firstly, we wouldn't have said in Nashim, in, this, in Shas, we wouldn't have said in Ezekin, two major Sidorim we wouldn't have to deal with. We would have Moed and Zroim and Kodshim and Tyrus. We would live a very pure life. Each person sitting in Koilo wouldn't even have to be a Koilo because you could just sit in Yeshiva. You wouldn't have to be paid. You wouldn't need money. Why did he create this situation where we have to trade with each other? All the conflict that comes from money and trade. Imagine if it wasn't there. And all the conflict that comes from relationships and the jealousies and the, everything that results. Imagine if that wasn't there. And yes, it's true that that was kind of Hashem's first intention, that there was going to be only one gender. Hashem then split man and woman into two different beings. Initially, man was kind of hermaphrodite. There was one gender. So we see there was something like that going through Hashem's mind, so to say. But in the end, he separated them. And as a result of separating the genders, Chava persuaded Adam and Adam sinned. And as a result of Adam's sin, we've got business, we've got trade. It's as if it was all set up that way. And was this just a punishment that for the rest of eternity we've, we've got to trade with each other? Surely that, that wouldn't just be a punishment. So clearly Hashem saw that in relationships and trade there could be a tikkun. From engaging in this, from engaging in relationships and engaging in trade, people could be metaken, humankind could fix, could repair what had gone wrong in the, in the sin. So the in, some inherent flaws in human character could be rectified through the activities of trade and relationship. And we'll see why. But in this uh, sugya, let's first look at the, at the fact that that is so. We see that that's something that the Torah wants us to be doing. We have a, a Gemara on, on Adaf, where this results from a Machlikis, Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan in Bovim where Rabbi Yochanan says, in the Torah system of business, the Kenyan for, for anything, just for objects, is ma'ot, is money. When you pay, the Kenyan is done. That's it. That's what the Torah is. The Chachomim said, no, you need Meshicha. Money is not, the, is not what defines the Kenyan, the transfer of ownership. The transfer is defined when you actually hold the object, when you lift the object or you pull the object, you do something with the object. There's got to be an action on the object. Until that time, the, the Kenyan is not complete. And Reish Lokish says, no, Meshicha is in the Torah. The, the fact that money doesn't do it, that you need to do Meshicha, that's already in the Torah. It's based on the two psukim at the top of the source sheet. Al-Gemorah says, Rabbi Yochanan, who holds that money works mida oraisa, it's the Torah's system of business that says money is what creates Kenyan. But the, why did the Rabbonin then turn that over and say, no, 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 Torah says money is going there, but we're saying you've actually got to physically handle the object. This is a famous Gzeira. The Chachomim were concerned about the following. I buy a ton of, of grain from you. I pay you whatever the amount is. I pay you $20,000 for the ton of grain. I, I don't have my truck there when we do the deal. We're in the marketplace when we do the deal. So I'll tell you, I'll come and I'll send, I'll send my trucks to collect the grain next week. Meanwhile, there's a fire. And the owner then says, I'm sorry, your grain has been lost, the, the seller, because we've, you've paid already, so it's yours. And there was a fire. Sorry, there's no grain. It's gone. That's what we're worried about. 
What does that mean? Says Rashi. The, the, the one who received the money will say to the buyer, your grain has been burnt. And we're not worried that he'll make up a story. We're not worried about him being dishonest. We're talking about there really is a fire. We're worried that he won't go to the effort of putting the fire out. It's the middle of the night. There's a fire in the silo in the yard. And, and he thinks to himself, it's not, it's not my grain. At the end of the day, he's paid. I've got my money. It's his bad luck. The grain's gone and he doesn't get out of bed to put the fire out. That's what we're worried about. He says, if it gets burnt, I have nothing to lose. And if I go to the effort of saving the fire, I, I have nothing to, gray, nothing to gain. Therefore, the Chachomim said, until you deliver the grain, the Kenyan is not complete. It's your grain until you deliver. You've actually got to physically deliver. That's the discussion. Tosfus asks, so what do the Chachomim come along and do? They undo what the Torah says and replace it with something else. The Torah says money is the Kenyan. The Chachomim say, no, we're worried about Shema Yomalon Yisufu Chitecho Ba'aliyo. And they put in Meshicha instead of, instead of Kesef. Why not make both? Normally when you make a Gzera, you add something on. You say, not only Kesef, you also need Meshicha. I understand that. You've got to also deliver. You've got to pay and deliver. Why don't you at least do that? So Tosfus starts to be worried about this Gezerah. Tosfus comes to the conclusion, because the, the, Tosfus asks even further. At the end of the day, this man who's now got the grain in his silo, he's been paid for it. So who does it belong to? Midoraisa. It belongs to the buyer. The seller's holding it. In what capacity is he holding it? He's a showman. If he's a shomer, he's a custodian. If he's a custodian, he's got to, he's got to pay for the fire. And, Tosfus, and the Gomorrah in Matthias says, well, not even him, the guy who started the fire has to pay. We'll learn all, all these dinim when we get to Bova Kama and Bova Matthias. These are the, He has to pay. Somebody has to pay. This is not just, it doesn't just go to nothing. No, this is the Gomorrah in Bova Matthias. We're talking where the fire started, not, no human being started it. It started Bohenes. Okay, so now he should have put the fire out. If he didn't put the fire out, he's a poshaya, he's careless. And even if he's not careless, according to some, he seems to be possibly a shomer sachar, that, that he might be, be considered as being paid to look after the grain, in which case his chayev, even for, for gneva vaved, it gets lost for whatever reason, in this case fire. As long as it wasn't pshia, as long as it wasn't an onus, as long as there was no way he could have put it out, he's obligated to do something about it. So why, why don't we assume that? Why do we have to make a special takana and do the Torah's kinyan, create a new kinyan for something which he should be obligated in any case? What are we worried about? So the Gemara in Bova and we see Rashi brings it in Eruvin. This, this piece of Gemara in slightly different forms appears here. It appears in Eruvin on Dafpei Alephon with Beis and it appears in Bova Metziah. As well, and, and it appears in Bova Metzion Daf Mem Zayin on with Beis. And it's important to read that the Rashi and the Tosfos all on, on, on both of these sugyas. And Rashi says there, using the Gemara in Bova Metzion's answers to why we not get, why the person who lit the fire doesn't have to pay because it was Ba'onis, Rashi says, we're worried that he's going to say this is Rashi in Eruvin, slightly different from our Rashi. So we leave the, the produce in the Rashut of the seller. So that he will risk his life to save them. He's not obligated to. So what's going on here? If he is obligated to, to save the, the, the produce, the seller who has been paid, before the Takanat Chachamim, before the rabbis introduced the other Kenya, 
if he's obligated to save the produce, then why don't we just hold him to his obligation? Even if it's a moral obligation, we don't have to incentivize people to keep Shabbos, incentivize people to keep kosher. The Torah says that's what you've got to do. So why doesn't the Torah just say you've got to save the the wheat? And if you say he doesn't have to save the wheat, why do we undo the Torah's Kenyan and introduce a new Kenyan to make him risk his life to do something he's not obligated to do? Why would we do that? If he's not obligated, so either way, if he's obligated to do it, and we see this is what worries Tosvis in the three different Masechdas, we see Tosvis grappling with this, particularly the Re, grappling with why is it that we're instituting this legislation for something which is either obligation or it's a Midas Chasidus, or it's, it's, a, it's something we don't expect from him. It's a, a pious action that we wouldn't normally expect. So Tosvis wants to say in Erevin, he's not even a Shomer Chinim, he's not a Shomer, he's not a custodian. You've paid me for the, for the wheat. The wheat is available to come and collect. I don't want to keep it for you. I don't agree to be your shomer. I'm not a shomer. If you leave it, fine. It's at your risk. So he's not even a, a shomer. If he's not even a shomer, why do we want him to risk his life to save the, the, the wheat? And then Tosfus in Bovamatziah asks the beautiful question. And obviously, if you look at the way the Gemara works it out and the way Rashi wants to learn, so we incentivize him to save the wheat because now he's got a benefit. Now, imagine the wheat goes up in price, he can also get out of the deal. So he thinks to himself, it's good for me also not to conclude the deal until we actually deliver. Because I also, me, the seller, I can say, you know, in a week's time, when you turn up with your trucks, I can say, you know what, I've changed my mind. He says, but I've paid you. He says, here's your money back. Said, but the price has gone up. He says, that's exactly why I'm giving you your money back, because I can get a higher price. But we had a deal. No, we didn't. You didn't do Mashiach. You didn't, you didn't take it yet. So asks Tosfus, are we dealing with people who are willing to back down on a deal? What about a Misha Parah? There's a curse of Misha Parah on people who back off deals, even if legally they're allowed to do so. You're not allowed to go back on your word. You've made a, a, a verbal deal. You know how the whole diamond industry is built on a, used to be anyway, built on, the, on a word of mouth. That's the principle of business, certainly in Torah. Are we worried about a person and, and we actually legislate so that he can go back on his word in case the market has changed? Why would we do such a thing? So what we have here is a clear indication that supports the Rib Shimon Shkop that we learned a few days ago that... We're not dealing here with mitzvahs and averas and with tzaddikim and rishayim. We're dealing with the, the Torah's divine system of commerce. How does God want us to trade? Now, once we've got the system, now we get the isurim and the, and the mitzvahs that are involved. There are lots of mitzvot and there are lots of prohibitions. But at this point, we're just looking at the foundation. What is the principle of trade according to the Torah? And the principle of trade according to the Torah is there has to be trust in the market. If there's no trust in the market, it doesn't matter about the mitzvahs and the avayas and sadikim and rishoyim. If there's no trust in the market, commerce collapses. Well, you've got to trust that if I write a check, it will be honored. You've got to trust that if I put my money in the bank when I go to collect it, it will be there. You've got to trust that if I pay you for something, you'll deliver it. If that trust goes, then there's no commerce. That's why the, the central bank in the United States, when the, the bank started, uh, there was a run on the banks a few months ago, and we had all of those issues in California, and the, the, immediately the government said, we will honor every deposit, depositor's money. Nobody will lose money. 
no depositor will lose money because they realized if that starts happening, if people start wondering whether they're going to get their money back, the banking system collapses. If the banking system collapses, the financial system collapses. The Torah is aware of that. There's got to be trust in the system. And so the Torah legislates, even in this way, the Chachomim legislate, even by changing the Kenyan of the Torah from Kesef to Meshicha, so that you don't have a situation of Nisraful Chitecha Ba'aliyah where the buyer's never sure he's really going to get delivery. We've got to be sure that the buyer can, can get delivery. Now, this idea that we see that the Torah legislates for the effectiveness of commerce, we see in, in Erevin, in Tosfus as well, where Tosfus talks about why this is done, and he says, Mishum Takanat Ashuk, he answers our Tosfus's question. Our Tosfus asks, why don't you have both Kinyanim? Don't take the Torahs away and substitute it with Meshicha. Say not only Kesef, you need Meshicha as well. Says the Re in Erevin, that's troublesome. Mishum takanat hashuk asu. They did it for, for the efficiency of commerce. To make people have to do two Kinyanim, that we don't do. So we rather undo the Torah's Kinyan and put another Kinyan in its place so that the market functions efficiently. So we see to what extent the Torah is willing to go to preserve an efficient and a trustworthy system of commerce because without that the commercial system doesn't work and if we understand how trust is built in to commercial effectiveness and to the effectiveness of relationships a marriage relationship can't work without trust business can't operate without trust we now understand why Hashem responded to the hate of Adam with the need to have business and why Hashem wanted there to be relationships because why did the hate take place Chava didn't trust what Adam had told her. Adam didn't trust Chava. The, 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 the snake abused them all. Neither of them trusted what Hashem had told them. The whole thing was a collapse of trust. Says Hashem, I need to build an environment where without trust you can't operate. So that you, you build trust. Get into a relationship. If trust starts shaking, you'll know immediately your relationship can't work. If you're in a business relationship and you can't trust the outcome, Business isn't going to work. That way, as human beings, you're going to develop the capacity for trust and you'll be able to learn how to trust me as well. If you can't trust each other, you can't trust Hashem. You need to live in trust. Trust is not something you acquire once and now you've got it. Trust is an ongoing, ongoing work. You've got to work on trust in your relationships. You've got to work on building a reputation in your business that is trustworthy. You need to work on, on trusting, not just tr being trusted, but also on trusting other people. You've got to work on trusting so that you develop the midah of bitachon. That's why the Rebbeinu created the world in such a way that we need to have relationships and we need to do business with one another. And there's such an idea of takanat hashuk, of creating halachot so that the markets work. They work with trust and they work with efficiency because in our business dealings we develop our character and we develop our midah of trust and of bitachon. <laughs>